Welcome to Sega Saturn Cheerio, the only podcast that can combo straight to infinity. Tonight's Cheerios are Peter, Dave, Nick, and myself. Before we begin, why don't we start with some personal updates? Nick, do you want to go first? Sure. So, my I finally, finally finished my review of Virtua Fighter Remix. That was a 30-minute long project with no interviews or anything to fill up time. That was just how much research I had, and I didn't think it would be 30 minutes. I was shooting for something like 13, and uh, that's, nope, nope, it was 30. So, but finally got it done. Uh, after finishing the release date list, I got nearly every Saturn game down to a precise release day. Still figuring out what happened to Battlesport. That's a weird one. And uh, now I'm working on reviewing and researching Offworld Interceptor Extreme, World Series Baseball, and Romance of the Three Kingdoms 4, Wall of Fire, which is very that's a very interesting variety of games and um i don't really play games in you know of those three genres i guess off-world's more of an arcadey action so i guess i play a lot of those but it's it's a weird one so should be a should be a fun time all right what about you peter well i've just finished playing through grid runner which is sort of a kind of an obscure north american release it was a lot of fun actually uh there'll be an article out on it uh, shortly and uh, for those of you that remember last year, I played through Resident Evil for the first time. Of course, I decided to go on to Resident Evil 2. Ended up picking up a copy for the Dreamcast. It's kind of an expensive game, but I figured, you know, I got to follow the story now. So that'll hit my playlist sometime in the near future. Uh, really exciting for me. Just a few weeks ago, I held a, a little get-together at my place. And we ended up doing a... Uh, some local Saturn to Saturn gameplay. So I have a LAN cable, a, a battle cable. It allows you to connect two Saturns together and you can play head-to-head games so long as you've got you know two Saturns, two TVs, and obviously two players. And so we played a bunch of games. It was a ton of fun. Um, I also not too long ago picked up a silver disc of World League Soccer 98. Uh, silvers are essentially sort of test press discs that were produced uh, in extremely small quantities and they got sent out for you know review copies to magazines and and such and they were also just used to make sure that the pressing was good before a game was mass produced and the reason I picked up World League Soccer was because it's the last third party European game and it is a European exclusive and it happens to be the only soccer game that runs in high resolution so I really wanted to sort of own that disc and so you know lots of sort of various things happening with me but dave what about you oh not much just uh playing super puzzle fighter for pretty much the first time i mean i've owned the game for a while but really never cracked it open until doing some research for this podcast and that was fun played it with my son and we kind of had a fun time coming to grips with you know the different mechanics and and uh the different characters and what they did and I don't know, I recently picked up um, uh, one of those tiny little 9-inch Sony Trinitrons for like 10 bucks. That was fun. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a little black uh, late-release consumer Trinitron. And I'm thinking about putting that somewhere as like a test bench monitor or something like that. But that was fun. I don't know. Yeah, that was really cool. Was, uh, uh, did you get a t- chance to test it out yet? Yeah, yeah, it's just composite, mind you, but I mean, the screen is so small, uh, so like the TV lines are so dense that it does put out a really nice picture for composite. Um, I have a I have a 13-inch Trinitron 
with component video, and it's comparable to that just because of the the screen density. But yeah, I mean, it's not. I'm. I mean, it might be fun to do a little bit of gaming on, but if anything, it'd be good for like a test bench monitor for just quickly testing out equipment. Other than that, just kind of going through my game cabinet, clearing stuff out, organizing, and just playing a few things here and there. You know, that caught my interest. I picked up a. A racing wheel finally like i call myself this big saturn fan but like for the first time ever i finally got an arcade racer so late bloomer there uh, i never really got around to getting an arcade racer just because like i didn't have a whole lot of space in my setup you know for extra peripherals but it was one of you know being a racing fan it's one of those ones that i felt like i needed to have so i ended up getting a gray one with the pink handles the pink shifters um, and it's like in mint condition. It's just not with the box. But I, I probably, if you got it with the box these days, it'd probably be beat up unless it's like Peter where he like folds all his boxes, <laughs> you know. But uh, he like strategically folds it to keep all the crinkles gone from no, it. No, yeah, that's that's amazing that Peter does that with all of his boxes. Uh, that's the way to go, honestly. But uh, no, I have to say it's it's not great for every racing game, but it's definitely nice for for some of them and i did i did try it out with hang on gp95 and it worked well it actually makes that game really controllable um on daytona usa though i didn't find that i liked it as much as the d-pad like i get it and i think that i could get really good with it but it's not like an immediate aha moment where i'm like oh yeah this is the way this game was meant to be played i feel like i'm much better at daytona with the d-pad but anyway it's fun you reminded me, I forgot to mention, I, I started using my first PVM. It's uh, a Sony one. I'm just using S-Video. I don't have the SCART cables for RGB or anything like that yet. But And I'm also mm-hmm. finally playing through Panzer Dragoon Saga. I'm on disc four. I, for some cool. reason, haven't played it. And, yep, here I am. What size PVM is that? I believe it's 14 inches. I haven't. I, I'm Cool. Like, yeah, it's it's kind of one of the standard size ones. Honestly, S video probably looks pretty good on that. It uh, looks on a 14 great. inch. Yeah. Oh yeah, it looks pretty. The picture is really dense at that size, so um, you know, it it, it looks pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. And S video does take care of you know really what you're missing out is some color information, but you'd still have like the clarity. Oh yeah, it's it's like no other monitor that I've played on so far. I like it a bunch. Nice, gotcha. I've been really busy with a bunch of different projects on top of my. <laughs> Other podcasts that I work on, uh, we just recently started uh, doing uh, the Hunter Hunter on our other podcast, the Spirit Hunters, which is renamed that used to be Yu Yu Hakusho. So that's been going pretty well. I got a couple things. I started a retro PC build. So basically, I wanted to have a PC that was circa early 2000s, late 90s, to play sort of everything from Half Life, uh, Red Alert, Command and Conquer, all the way to maybe Half Life Two if I really want to. So it's been going pretty well so far with that, and I also uh, picked up something Saturn-related. Really? What did you pick up? I picked up a Saturn kiosk. Shouts out to 1UP Games in Arizona. Uh, one of the guys that worked there uh, actually put on his Facebook page, oh, selling this Saturn kiosk, uh, call for offers, and I did, and uh, offered him an amount that's reasonable, and uh, he accepted. And I had to haul it into my house, and it was painful because it weighs a bajillion pounds, even without the CRT. Dang, I'm sure it's worth it though. Is it all metal or like what is it made of that it's so heavy? It 
it's pretty much all metal besides a few a couple plastic pieces but everything's metal the sides the the back of it a lot of the paneling and stuff of that nature the only thing that's plastic wow. is really the bottom <laughs> but it's pretty good it's pretty good i uh the only thing that it came really stripped so they took out the crt they took out the saturn of course and they even took out the reset button for the kiosk so if you guys remember there's like a reset button they took that out as well so weird huh. The weird well, thing is they kept the speakers in, which I thought was kind of strange. Huh. They took out the re- the reset button, which I would argue is probably a part of the kiosk, but they kept the speakers. Yeah. That's weird. I think it's because the wires connected to the Saturn, and maybe they were lazy and just thought, oh, we're just going to take the Saturn plus that and maybe snip the wire or something, something like that and just hmm. tossed it. I guess. It was kind of bizarre, though, but I got the speakers in there, so that's good. I... Replaced all the lights because they were buzzing, so I just have a little bit more left. And then I can finally piece it together. I put a nice PVM in there, so... Oh, hell yeah. Wow, spare no expense. Yeah. It's getting a little bit of a, an increase, but everything's resettable. So That kiosk never looked that good. <laughs> probably <laughs> That's not. That's awesome, though. <laughs> hey, Pat, do you know do you know like the history of that, that kiosk? I thought I heard you say something about it was like... Um, kind of right between the Genesis and the Saturn, so it might have been, like, multi-purpose? Yeah, because I saw pictures online of a... The kiosk was just the top portion with the the uh, the, the monitor and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of it was actually missing the... Uh, it looked like some of them were missing the bottom portion, and it had the... The marquee said uh, Genesis on it versus Saturn. Oh. And I saw some pictures of that, so I don't know if maybe... That's something that happened. There's not a lot of history of it, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of a pretty obscure kiosk. I was surprised to find it in the middle of Arizona. So go figure. I'm super jealous. Same. Yeah, that looks so good. Yeah, I'm working on a video right now to sort of restore it and point out all the lights and the missing pieces that you need to restore it and where to get them. Mm-hmm. Everything was easy to obtain, so I just had to do a little Googling and ask somebody that actually had a kiosk because one of the lights was missing on it and I didn't know what size it was and it turned out to be like a T830 it was the a 30 inch T8 and it was between Sonic the ones between Sonic's eyes oh gotcha the fluorescent compact fluorescent or not compact just it's like a long fluorescent tube right yeah gotcha yeah besides that that's awesome Pat yeah thank you so I'm hoping to get that up and going and I'll be able to also put some retro bit controllers in it so That'll nice. be awesome. Yeah, that that selfie you post in front of it looked pretty badass. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I will uh, hopefully take more selfies in front of it or start recording a little bit more. But it's really cool to have. It's a nice entry piece, and I'm just worried now that I don't know if I can get an arcade machine. Oh, because of space? Yeah, I'll figure something out. You you have the Saturn kiosk. You're you're in good shape. Got to get a candy cab. Then I'll be set. Astro City. Oof, I'm probably going to get a Blast City, but... The Blast City, yeah, sure. Both of them are good. I've always wanted an Egret. One of the Taito ones. Those are nice, but they're super expensive. Right, they are. And not really easy to come by. <laughs> nope. No. Nope, not it's, at all. It's obtainium, pretty much. Alright, so uh, why don't we uh, hop into the news real quick. Besides the imminent death that's running upon us and the world, 
why don't we talk up a little bit uh, lighter note and talk about the sort of Saturn stuff. So I know the the first big news is the Satiators in the testing phase. So I've been seeing people posting online about sort of them testing it out and sort of their test streams of it. So that was kind of cool. Did you guys uh, check any of those out? I personally can't wait until that is available. To me, that is superior to like just a regular ODE because, you know, then you can still keep your disk-based uh, content and you can load stuff through the back door. So I, and it seems like all of us uh, have been watching this develop uh, lately and it is actually really exciting. I know that there's work that needs to be done. You know, he's doing a lot of patching, uh, releasing firmware patches for the beta testers and they continue to report. But I mean, it's the reporting seems really good. Like they're catching a bunch of stuff, you know, the people that are doing the beta testing and... Um, Honestly, it's just awesome. It, it's like an EverDrive, basically. It's, I mean, that's basically what it is. It's just plug and play. You can use it in a number of Saturns. A lot of us have m more than one Saturn. You won't have to have your Saturn modded anymore. Um, and you can just hot swap it into different Saturns, load images on the fly. But if you feel like grabbing a disk and popping that in, you can do that as well, you know? So that's just awesome. I know that back when I was talking to Kay about it, one of his concerns was the loss of the mpeg player and you know for games like lunar complete i realized that would be kind of like a caveat and so i mean i guess that one game or maybe one or two games that use that feature i probably would play it on a different saturn you know but i mean we're talking about being able to play like 99 percent of the library i think that it's awesome super excited yeah, no, I definitely agree. You know, it does suck we don't get those games, but I mean, ninety nine percent is also very good. I mean, you do, you do get them. You just, you know, you just pull out the card and pop in a MPEG card, right? You know, to play that one game. And I mean, if you're used to using a pseudo cart or something like that, it's no more of an inconvenience, really. So, I mean, the way I see it is, it's just not that much of a deal breaker. What is a deal breaker is having to take your Saturn apart and take out the CD drive, modifying it from stock, you know? Because personally, I would like to, like Peter was saying, you know, I'd like to keep my Saturns minty in stock and just be able to pop a card in the back and just call it a day. Yeah, no, I definitely could see that. That's probably good for what a lot of people want to do instead of, you know, having to determine which version of the Saturn you have, what revision, and what it fits in if it's a, uh, a Rhea or a Phoebe. And if it's not, it's like, well, I guess I have to get the other one now. Exactly. I mean, I still haven't been able to get one of those. I've been trying, you know, I had an opportunity and with Kay and I didn't have the cash at the time. And it's like, I'm kicking myself, sure. But in subsequent years, I have not been able to get on that list, you know, so. Well, and it this looks like the Satiator is not the only game in town anymore. There's another optical drive emulator that's, you know, being developed. And that is called the Fernier. I think I'm pronouncing Fenrir. that. Fenrir. Like a wolf. Oh. Fenrir. Fenrir, okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, F-E-N-R-I-R, -R, Fenrir. And I think the logo is like a wolf, too. Yeah, it's like a little wolf with a crescent moon. Oh, and thank you, Peter, by the way. Thank you for saying satiator, because that is what it's called. It, it's supposed to satiate our desire for a better device, you know? It's a play on, it's a clever play on words, but nobody gets it. <laughs> I thought it was just pronounced satiator. I've heard so many people say satiator, so... I know because nobody knows how times. to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Just have the guy go on and like record it, like the the YouTube videos where it's like the pronunciations. Satiator. 
Well, also abrasive. He abrasive originally said it in the video. He's he keeps calling it the satiator. So I think that was kind of like a New Zealand thing. Maybe they use the word satiate a lot in New Zealand. I got or something. You. Well, we can call it the sa- the satiator. Yeah. Satiator. Hopefully, the satiator will satiate our need. So yes, yeah, so, I mean, ultimately that just means we've got two optical drive emulation devices coming up to join what what's already out there, and so that just means more choice. And to me, that's that's always good news. I like that too. Yeah, I mean, it's we we are in an age where these games cost a crap ton of money, and not nearly as many people are willing to pay for it. So having these options keeps the console alive, which I like. But Pat, you have you have a Raya. Are you, you're the only one of us who has a Raya, right? Really? really? I'm the only one that has one. I think so. I don't think Ben has one. Okay, so as somebody who does have a Raya, and I know you think highly of it, right? You you love your Raya. Like, what I is love your it. opinion? I cuddle it at night. You love it. You cuddle it. I mean, so I want to know what you think about it. I'd have to say it's probably one of the most useful tools to really work on this podcast because. A lot of the stuff, you know, it's hard to find or, you know, I have to burn discs and stuff. And now I just load it on there and, you know, it's good to go. I mean, it's just, uh, I just find it is a useful tool for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about it compared to like the, the idea of the satiator or satiator. I kind of agree partly with Kay where basically it's nice to have a device that can play 100% of the games and won't really render a portion of the console useless in a way or or unable to use that function mm-hmm. all of the the vcd card mm-hmm. but i also agree that something like that just plug and play would be nice so it's like oh hey i want to transfer this to i guess because i have my saturn my kiosk and my saturn are in halfway across my house so it'd be nice to be able to oh hey i want to play some stuff on this the the uh the kiosk i'll just unplug it and shove it in there versus taking my entire Saturn and putting it back in there and hooking it all up again. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have that option, but right now, because if I need to do like video recording or streaming or just, you know, I just want to play on the TVs, I have to bring it in the other room and haul it in. So, yeah. but it's, it's nice. The only issue I have with it is that it's annoying to sometimes I can only find, or I can only get stuff in the bin queue format. And it doesn't accept it, so I have to convert it. And sometimes it messes up and doesn't have any sound. So it gets kind of frustrating sometimes trying to get it going, you know? Right. I would like to add, I think one argument in favor of the Rhea or Phoebe is that at this time, I mean, this may change in the future, but at this time, the Rhea and Phoebe do offer loading time advantages. And they also, from what I understand have no problem with most or all FMV cutscenes. Whereas I've heard reports that the Satiator currently has some problems with select cutscenes, and of course they're able to patch that out with a firmware update, but at the time being, there are some issues with certain cutscenes. And then also at this time, it's pretty much one-to-one, same as a CD as far as load times go. So that you know that's possible that they might patch a feature in in the future. But at, at the current case, you know, the, the Rhea has a one-up on that. The thing I actually liked about... It's kind of funny you mentioned the FMVs. I was actually playing a certain commanding game that you might have to... You know, if you do well, you conquer stuff. And I was watching some FMVs, and they are going very well. Like, I didn't even notice any issues loading or any latency with 
the Rhea just lo launches up and goes. Because in that case, it it actually is emulating an optical drive. That's the difference. I mean, the Rhea really just does fool the Saturn into thinking this is this is the CD drive, you know, and it's just feeding data at a certain bit rate, you know, so it's able to do just fine. Whereas this other method, the satiator, has to kind of like circumvent the CD block security and kind of fool the Saturn into allowing it to feed data through that serial port or whatever, through that bus. But I mean, there are obstacles to mount with that, uh, that the ODE doesn't have, you know. One thing I would like to see, though, and this is completely hypothetical, but I think Peter, as Peter's a disc guy as well, he has, you know, a huge library of games. And as someone who might not want or care to have every Saturn game on, you know, whatever Flash Media is in the Satiator, in the future, it would be awesome if you could just take a disc and pop it into the Saturn and have it rip to the Satiator card, you know? That would be kind of cool. That's probably not possible, but it would be cool. That does sound pretty awesome. I mean, yeah, you're right. That would be a whole sort of other kettle of fish, in my opinion. But, boy, wouldn't that be nice if, you know, you pop in a disc right into your Saturn and it will sort of, it's almost like it creates an auto backup, right, in your digital. Yeah, if it could create a, a disc image of that game, you know, that, that'd be kind of cool. It'd be another way to create your own disk images. But, I mean, I guess that's easier to do on a PC with a high-speed drive, but, you know. Recently, Panzer Dragoon VR started uh, popping up all over the Internet, so that's been announced. It looks like it's another third-party team that's doing it. It's not Megapixel Studios or, uh, you know, the guys doing the Panzer Dragoon remake, so it's a different uh, company. And it looks like it's going to be you're essentially going to have the opportunity to travel through the worlds of, I believe it's the first Panzer Dragoon game, or is it all of them? It's so it, it, you can play through episodes from Panzer Dragoon 1, Zvi, and even Saga. So it's different episodes of the three Saturn games that you can play in this. How would that work? With the saga, it's like it turns into an RPG or something. I'm guessing it'll it'll remain an action game. That's my guess. It obviously doesn't clarify, but since it's a VR game, I don't think it'll turn into a turn based RPG. Um, I'm guessing it'll retain the you shooting stuff on top of a dragon, flying in what should be a pretty fantastic VR experience. Yeah, I mean, Panzer Dragoon's sort of tailor-made for that kind of experience, you know, yeah. to be able to sort of look around the entire world as you're sort of flying through it. I mean, that just sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. It is. It's going to be a ton of fun. As a recent uh, VR owner, I have an Oculus Quest, which amazing, by the way. Uh, you can, obviously, it doesn't require any wires. It's its own onboard thing. But if you want to stream VR games from your, you know, extremely powerful pc you can tether it and do it do it that way too it's uh it, it i've been playing a few games on it obviously beat saber the star wars game that came with it and then also this one called uh yeah so journey of the gods been playing that it's like the breath of the wild game for vr that's kind of the best crappy way to describe it and it's uh the technology is definitely there um i think we're at a point where we can start making a lot of vr games and it will be a, a very okay good thing to do you know, we got the new Half-Life VR game that's due out here pretty soon, I think. And Panzer Dragoon is going to be, I mean, unless they really mess it up, it's its going to be pretty amazing in a VR experience. I'm very excited for that. 
So hoping to hear more. I th- I've been seeing that we're gonna uh, they're trying to get it done by March of next year. I don't know if that's an official release month, but that's kind of what I've been seeing online so far. I'm sure Sam the SSG is going to be excited about that because you know he always talks about how he wishes Saga was just a, another Panzer game. You know, so those those sequences. Honestly, seeing Atom, you know, and Azel, seeing a- the Atom Dragon, you know, in in that kind of like fighting with the VR is just going to be amazing, you know. And I imagine it would play out just like any of the other boss battles, you know, where it kind of like mm-hmm. automatically shifts you around to the sides um, and behind and stuff like that, you know. So it, it's going to be awesome. What I'm very excited about, obviously, a couple things here. One, it's it's bringing more attention to the Panzer Dragoon IP. It's going to get more people interested in it. It's going to make people want more of it. But VR has a very mainstream audience. So if this gets released to the Quest, which is a very popular device for casual VR uh, adopters, then a lot of people are going to discover Panzer Dragoon and look into it and wonder what it is. So this mm-hmm. is this could only be a good thing for the franchise. unless Again, unless they really mess it up, which I yeah, and do then- not think they will. And an on-rail shooter is a perfect genre for for VR. I think. I mean, has Absolutely. there been a Res? Has there been a release of Res VR? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, there, has. there, there was. Okay, yeah, that one's an ob- That's a no-brainer. I haven't played it yet, but yeah, this so. is Space Channel Five VR one as well. Apparently, Brock right. played that over at the junkyard. That, yeah, I've seen that. That looks cool. Hopefully, that'll get the reaction that I want them to have, which is they'll say, "Oh man, this game's all fun." I wonder what other games they have in the franchise. And they see Saga and it's like $500. Like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go complain about how expensive it is. I magnify it by 100 so that we can get that game re-released on something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remade, you know. Remade, re-released. I'll take anything at this point. All right, so uh, now we're going to move on to our main topic, which is our main game we're focusing on for the cast, which is going to be Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. What a mouthful. It was released in Japan on December 6th, 1996, and North America on January 24th, 1997. So pretty close together. I see those that don't know, it's basically Street Fighter except in a puzzle format. So I guess the closest thing I can describe it is Puyo Puyo. Is that really, am I sort of on the money with that one, guys? I'd say that's a fair description. They're all slightly different, all the P.O.P.O. clones, but yeah, I mean that's the closest equivalent. Is it? I, I like I, so. that's what I, I that's what I thought it. going in. So I thought yeah. it was going to be a Puyo clone going in, and the more I played it, I was like, wow, this is kind of like its own thing. But it, I guess it does. I guess it has similarities for sure. I mean, it's a gem dropping game. It but, for sure has yeah. its own gameplay elements. It's definitely not like a like a one to one clone. Yeah, like Doctor Robotnik's Bean Machine, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not like a direct rip. It's definitely got its own personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, essentially the game is puzzle orientation versus a fighting game. Well, I think it, it basically there's some fighting elements, but it's more just like animations and cute figurines fighting each other, like chibi versions of each character. And they have char- characters from both Street Fighter and the Darkstalkers franchises. So you have like Felicia, you have um, the Cat Lady, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each character, instead of having like a different move set, they have like a different drop set, uh, yes. a different pattern mm-hmm. in which they drop. Some can do 
potentially more damaged than others. Some are somewhat <laughs> OP. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you yeah. just have to know how to use them, you know? Yeah, it's fun when you think you're winning against a CPU and it's like, oh man, I'm about to beat him. And he gets like a bunch of combos and it's like, you're almost dead. It's like, what happened? Seriously. But yeah, I really enjoyed the game. Uh, I'm pretty bad at puzzle games. I think the first time I played it was at a party a couple of years ago on uh, like PlayStation 4. I always was ever as hesitant because I thought it was kind of a silly concept, but I kind of regret it. It's a really nice puzzle fighter and I really enjoyed it, but I'm pretty shit at fighting. I'm pretty bad at puzzle games, so I can't say I'm some expert on it. I got I beat it on easy, so yay for me, I guess. <laughs> I beat it on easy too. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, one of the characters came up. It's like try normal now. It's like okay, thanks, Dan. Very blunt, uh, very blunt English. I could not beat normal. I too discovered how bad I am at puzzle games, but I really, really like this one. I think this is definitely an accessible puzzle game for people who aren't into it just because of how different it is and that it has the street fighter and dark stalker dark stalkers characters fighting each other it's it's very nice mm-hmm. yeah you can't really beat felicia for sure no can't morgan um, so i guess the concept is you've got pairs of gems that are dropping and you want to arrange them to you know like colors together and then as you make square shapes of the same color they're sort of combined into larger and larger gems and then in order to get rid of them, like you're, you're essentially trying to drop, it, it's, it's a, like, I don't know what the term for it is, but it's sort of like a, like an action crystal or like an activation block or something. It's an orb, think, right? Hmm? They're little orbs. Yeah. The little orbs. Yeah. So you, and I'm not yeah. sure that there's an actual name for them in the game, but yeah, they, they kind of look like little spinny orb things and then you drop them. And of course, you know, that wipes out all the colors that are, you know, linked physically. And then the more damage you do, the more you're going to drop on your opponent. And that's where your drop set comes in because how you drop on your opponent depends on what your character's drop set is. Now, occasionally though, what'll happen is your opponent will drop stuff on you. And then with each you know gem that drops down, you've got a little bit of a counter on all of the sort of garbage blocks that fell on you. And they're going to count down from five all the way to one. So you've essentially got five moves to clear them. And if you fail to do so, then they'll just turn into regular uh, crystal blocks. So it's a neat concept. It's definitely, you know, it's more than just Tetris, I guess, in a way. And uh, it does have its own unique mechanic compared to other Saturn puzzle games. So it's a lot of fun. It took me actually a little bit of time to sort of get used to that concept, uh, which is odd because I'm usually okay with puzzle games. But once you sort of get it and you get into it, it's it's a fun ride. It's it's a definitely a very interesting game. And uh, it's definitely fun in two players. I definitely think this was like a nod to people who really liked Japanese games back in the 90s because it, it retained a lot of the Japanese voice acting. Like they were saying English words, but they, it was in a very, very heavy accent. And uh, with the colorful sprites and the chibi fighters fighting each other and and uh, it being a, a puzzle game that isn't Tetris, that's, you know, one of those, not necessarily a Puyo Puyo clone, but, you know, it's they're two colored blocks that that fall down you have to stack up definitely a a nod to saturn owners in the late 90s who really liked the japanese video game culture of the time 
You know, I have to say, I love Capcom's, you know, their use of colors and just their overall presentation. They always have very sort of flashy, colorful, bold lettered uh, option menus and screens and scrolling backgrounds. And that remains true for Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just really cool because it looks almost arcadey. Do you guys know if the game ever did make an appearance in the arcades or was it just for... It did. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. It was arcade first, actually. Yeah, it was uh, released on CPS2 arcade board. But, you know, it's it's really cool, though. I was going to comment on how arcadey it feels in nature, the whole game. Like, you just pop in and it feels like you have a, a CPS2 on your, on your shelf for the most part with some yeah. extra options. Does Capcom even make bad games? You know, <laughs> like... Every uh, every, well, every uh, do they? I I don't know. Like I, every every Capcom game I have, I'm happy with. Um, I have bought you this one. Capcom Infinite. No, I haven't. I mean, I'm talking mostly like '90s Capcom. Oh yeah, well, no, '90s Capcom yeah. is pretty. Yeah, solid. '90s Capcom. Yeah. I don't think they released anything bad per se. Right, and I mean, I bought this. I bought this long box purely because it was a Capcom game, because of the chibi characters. And because of, like, the going price was pretty high and it seemed like a sought-after game, so I, like, wanted to add it to the collection. But when I got it, it just went on the shelf and I, like, really didn't think much about playing it. I don't know how long Peter's owned his copy, but, like, yeah, it's just one that I never really got around to playing until now. And I, like Peter, am pretty good at puzzle games, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just... I got my son jesse with me and we're just like we'll just sit down and figure this out you know but it really challenged my understanding of like or like my preconceptions of most puzzle games because it was quite different uh to be honest and and there were some things that i noticed about it but uh anyway i i love the music too the cue sound i could tell that even with the stereo speakers that the cue sound was working and uh the music sounds great so how was yeah. playing it with your kid? Like, was it pretty easy for him to pick it up? Were it, you guys having a no. good time? No, like... he was so frustrated. And let me tell you oh. why. Like, okay, oh, so no. here's the thing. I couldn't. I okay. He's he's over on his side, trying to like do what you're supposed to do. You know, like stack mm-hmm. like gems together, right? And mm-hmm. wait for an orb to come down, and then wipe them out, right? But I was literally trying to let him win, right? I was just letting it things drop randomly on my side right but i would keep winning by default and he was getting so frustrated he's six years old you know so he was kind of crying and like you just won't and i was like honey i'm not i I promise i'm trying to let you win here but i'm like not even touching the controller and i'm winning you know what i found out about this game is that it favors it favor it you will not win if you're just like doing kind of like tetris where you're just kind of like eliminating one line at a time you know what this game does is it favors quick play. So it's yes. funny if you if you set yes. it on easy, the blocks drop really slow, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to lose every time if you play slow. You have to play fast. So I would be setting my side on hard, you know, thinking that I was doing him a favor, but no, my blocks were just dropping so fast that they were making random combos without me even trying. And that's actually <laughs> that's actually what I taught him. So we we put it all together. And what we learned is that you could literally start playing against the CPU and you could just drop, 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 random shit just halfway up the screen, right? You just got random stuff. Everything's mismatched, right? And then you go in for the kill and you start focusing on 
clearing out orbs. And what would happen is you'd get these huge chained combos. And I wasn't even like playing chess. You know, I wasn't even trying to strategize at first. All I'm doing is trying to fill up my board with a bunch of random clutter that doesn't, that won't wipe out right away, right? And that's, and we would beat the CPU every time going that way. We would just like drop, we would fill up our board halfway as quickly as we could. And then we'd go in for the kill and it would just wipe the other guy out like in a huge tidal wave. And that's kind of how we figured out, <laughs> figured out how to be good at this game, you know? Yep. But until yeah. then, it was incredibly frustrating for him because, you know, he was trying so hard to do it the conventional way and it wasn't working. You got to be fast on it. You got to be quick with it. They are, especially against CPU. Oh, I know it's uneasy. It was really diff- more difficult than playing on normal for that same reason because mm-hmm. even if I'm going easy, I'm like filling it up. It's like the com- computer can just combo off of all the blocks I have and he can yep. easily just like drop as like, oh, I- he had a, like a eight chain combo and I'm half my screens fell now or like I'm almost dead so I think that's really a uh, it's a weird situation with that because easy is kind of a little bit harder if you think about it absolutely and when you say it's an arcade game that makes perfect sense because in Japan especially arcade games are like spectator sports you know people watch sit around they're watching you it's fast tournament play you know each round it starts and ends really quickly, you know? So yeah, yeah. it's just like a frenzy. Uh, it's not one of those, like, sl- like Puyo is so much slower, you know? Like, it is. That's all I can say. When I'm playing Puyo, even against the CPU, those rounds can last so long, but this game is just, it goes quick. It does. And I've noticed comebacks are pretty viable, too. I've had a couple games where I'm like, a few lines away from death, like, a few more blocks come down, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm gone. But then I get a couple couple of gems that line up in just the right way and i i clear a bunch of gems going all the way down and like a like, like the vein from top to dot, bottom of green gems just disappear and then that causes a couple other chains and then that makes a bunch of other blocks go on the other person's screen and then a few seconds later i suddenly win you know i've, I've had little and it's happened the other way around too frustratingly enough but very fast pace and sudden comebacks are possible like it, it really kind of feels like you're fighting your opponent in this gem puzzle game you'll have like one spot left you'll have you'll literally be full all the way up to the top one spot left and then you get a diamond and it like literally (laughs) wipes out your entire board and the other and then the and then the dude does like a shoryuken in the middle of the screen you know or a hadouken or who you know that's it's awesome i think though that like i think that's part of the appeal is that if you're if you're a spectator if you're watching two players go at it then not only are you watching the puzzle uh component of it but there's sort of the you know the the animation in the background the two characters duking it out and you know as as you're playing i found when i play i you don't really you don't focus on that you focus just on your puzzle board so if you're spectating then you know you're watching the animation of the you know the two uh chibi characters fighting so it's pretty cool that way Mm mm-hmm and it's really at home on the Saturn, too. I mean, these are large, colorful sprites. There's a lot of stuff going on at once. And that's really something that the Saturn is super good at. So this particular game, very much at home on the uh, benchmark of engineering excellence. Do you guys find that this is a sort of a good learning curve for this particular game? Again, as somebody who plays a good number of puzzle games, I actually thought this one was one of the harder ones to get into. 
I don't play many puzzle games, and I this was very difficult. Same. Out out of all the puzzle games I've had played, like Tetris, Puyo Puyo, this one definitely has to be one of the toughest ones, at least that I found, especially if you're playing against somebody that knows what they're doing. You'll probably lose most of the time. It's a pretty difficult puzzle game, and uh, just the you know the fact that we mentioned that I think maybe that easy mode might be sort of misleading to some people, especially if they don't play it right. Definitely uh, can make it very difficult to play. And you can adjust mm-hmm. the difficulty in the options menu too. It's it's the eight star meter, just like when you adjust difficulty in Street Fighter. And it defaultively, it starts at four out of eight stars for difficulty. And you, know, you can turn that down, and that makes it a little more uh, accessible for people. It says, do you want to play on the story mode, easy, normal, or hard? Right, right. yeah, it has that too. You can also change the damage too, like the damage factor. I actually noticed that when, like, when we started messing around with stuff, and I actually set my son to like normal or like a one level above normal, but not hard. You know, so his blocks were dropping really fast, and then I set mine to easy, and I was just like, I promise I'll lay off. You know, I I won't drop, I won't like force drop my blocks. He started beating me then because his blocks were just dropping faster so he was getting combos faster even if, even if he wasn't like planning ahead and like necessarily trying to get the combos you get combos automatically just because things are dropping so fast and um you can how it, it it did end up being a lot of fun like that but i will say i never really quite got a handle on the different characters drop sets and i was gonna ask if any of you guys could speak knowledgeably on those individual characters drop sets like the like the patterns peter did you you usually like dissect games like did you was there any specific character that you favored i didn't get deep enough into the game to appreciate that kind of nuance to be fair so but again like so most puzzle games i find are very pick up and play and within you know 10 minutes you know everything there is to know about the mechanics of a game and you can take it as deep as you want Whereas this game, I find, is much different because you've got to consider things like, you know, your character's drop sets. You're not just picking a character for fun or because you like a certain character. you, you got to sort of think about those drop sets. So there's definitely depth and nuance there, but it's not... I haven't gotten quite to that level yet. And so to me, it's just very fascinating that as a puzzle game, there's this amount of depth and even sort of strategy that you've got to consider when playing. It's it's just fascinating. But no, to answer your question in a very roundabout way, I've not gotten to that level just yet. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I kept picking Ryu. I kept picking Ryu because I like Ryu, um, and I would normally pick him in Street Fighter. But I ended up doing a lot better with Morrigan and and uh, Felicia, like uh, for some reason. And I don't know exact. I'm sure it has to do with their drop sets, but I don't know exactly what those are. I did really well with the Sakura or Sakura, however you want to pronounce it. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I I noticed her drop set's very layered. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I, I'm sure that they're all balanced in in a sense. And I, I I did read somewhere that in a future re-release they had to rebalance those drop sets slightly. I don't know if they were particularly broken on the Saturn version or or the first arcade version or what. But mm-hmm. uh, I, for some reason I had the best luck with Sakura and. I don't know if that's because your drop set's particularly better or not. I don't know, but I, I've won. I won more rounds with her. You could say she's my main for Super Puzzle Fighter Two Turbo. Dan was annoying as ever because I tried yep. to watch the tutorial, and every time I would try to press A or B to like skip ahead in the tutorial, it would just exit out. And then I was like, <laughs> "Damn it!" <laughs> so I'd load it up again, and I'd be like, Damn "Oh, it, you have to watch this thing from the start, and you can't press any buttons." 
So if you really want to know how to play the game, Dan will tell you how, but you literally have to sit through it line by line, real time. <laughs> Dan's screwing people over again. I wonder if you can unlock him as a character. I didn't look into any like codes or unlockables I should have. There are unlockables, and I, yes, I believe he is one of the unlockables. You can also unlock either through code or unlocking. I, I'm going to mispronounce a lot of these. There's Anita, who I'm pretty sure I pronounced that all right. Uh, Devilate. Uh, <laughs> Goki, not to be confused with Dragon Ball Z's Goku. Oh, that's, and... um, that's the, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Akuma. Oh, okay, gotcha. And then there's Mei Ling. So, yeah, those uh, unlocked through cheat codes. I'm sure there are ways you can traditionally unlock them, or at least some of them, uh, just by being good at this game, right. which I am not. <laughs> I don't think many of us are. <laughs> this was a very no. challenging game. Yeah, I think uh, the Shiro ones, this was probably our weak spot, is uh, puzzle games between all of us. Hmm. I got close to beating it on normal, but still got snubbed at the end. It's easy for sure. I think we all were able to beat it on easy. Um, but yeah, normal is pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was difficult. Default settings on normal. It is not a cakewalk. It is not something that you can pick up and play and beat relatively easily. Like you got to you got to put work into it. It's yeah. There's just something about Capcom games, though. Like uh, they all yeah. run at 60 frames per second. They all have Q sound, so they all sound like super crisp and mm -hmm. almost, you know, like that. Well, I mean, Q sound was kind of like their own version of Dolby surround, you know. So uh, it just, you know, when you pop in like Alpha 2 or Alpha 3 or any of those games, they, they just sound more impressive, you know. I mean, they sound like an arcade game, basically. Right at home you know and and pat's right the color i'm sure they look amazing on a pvm uh yes so yeah did. yeah it's just capcom just made some really really solid games in the 90s i will at least say in the night and and in the early 2000s you know good dreamcast games too i think the weirdest thing i like on it was the the menu sound like you know when you move your menus like do 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 that yeah. sound effect i like that classic cps2 sound effect it's on like every cps2 game i think yep and it just makes it away. Oh, yeah? Oh, I'm with you there. I enjoyed that as well. I think it's on a lot of them. Cool. Any of you guys have a CPS 2? I do. I know Ben does. You you do, Pat? Yeah, I have a CPS 2. I have oh, a cool. MVC 1 for it. I, I really like the puzzle fight in the other games, but they're so pricey, though. Right, I'm no sure. Kidding. It can't be cheap. I think one of the, the two ones I really want, or at least three, is the Mars Matrix Giga Wing and uh, probably... Uh, Street Fighter Alpha 3. And you already donated organs to get the Rhea for your Saturn, so like... But yeah, no, uh, I'm really excited. I'd really love to get it for the the CPS 2 if I could find it at a reasonable price, but, you know, it's one of those hunting things you gotta look for. Yep. So who's at the keyboard and can tell us, real quick, how much this game costs, like, for the Japanese import? I know for a fact that the long box is pretty far out of most people's reach at this point. Unless, it you is, know, it's at yes. least 100 bucks, right? The long box, I, I've, from what I looked up earlier, that goes for at least 100 If you want the the PlayStation version, that one's relatively cheaper, but who would want that, right? Um, but if they want to play it on Saturn... If you want to play it on Saturn, the console that was meant for big sprites like these, 
it looks like if you wanted to get the Japanese version, that would run you about 30, 40 bucks, which is honestly, that's not too bad. And you don't need to know Japanese to play it. It's a puzzle game. And I believe most of the menu options would be in English anyway. So, mm. it, yeah. Do you it, guys think I'm, it's recommendable at that price? Yes. I personally think if you're into puzzle games, this is definitely one of the Saturn's best. It's obviously one of its most popular because you, the listeners, voted this game for us to play this episode. And yeah, you know, considering the prices of what some of the other Saturn games are going for, getting a Japanese import complete in box for between 30 and $40, that's, I'm only seeing it between 30 and 40 for your Japanese. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, complete in box. I would personally say that's reasonable. Yeah, 40 is probably a difference between like an OB card and not an OB card. But I mean, yeah. this game seems like a good party spectacle game, you know, where it is. You know, you, you, you have two people sitting on the couch, everybody else gathered around watching, and then whoever taps out, you know, uh, somebody else can jump in real quick. It, it just, and, and because the rounds are so quick and frenetic like that, I think that it would make right. a really good drinking game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and speaking from, the, speaking from the high school days, I can attest this is a great two-player game with a group of friends. Personally, though, um, I think the bargain for it is definitely for the CPS2. I'm seeing... It's actually fairly cheap. It's a uh, two. Is it really two fifty to three hundred and fifty dollars? Maybe it's fairly reasonable. No, I'm just joking. It's pretty pricey. <laughs> sure. And again, <laughs> compare that to like an AES game, you know? Yeah. I guess. Or even I an mean, MVS game. Some MVS games are pretty crazy. The thing you know? is that the thing. I guess the difference is that a lot of the MVS games are a lot of them are under a hundred dollars or maybe a little bit over a hundred. But like the CPS games and the CPS two games in general. Are usually over the hundred fifty to two hundred dollar mark for like every game for it. Well, it's like a huge board basically in like a cartridge form, you know. Yeah, I suppose so. I, it's pretty. They're pretty cool looking. You can't deny that. But yeah, no, um, I love them. They're like little backpacks. Yeah. Do they make bootlegs of CPS two games carts? No, they're, they're nearly impossible to bootleg. The, yeah, the suicide battery. Yeah. Yeah. I figured. <laughs> The closest thing they have is the uh, Dark Soft uh, mod for it, but even that's really pricey to get done. You're looking at yeah, $500. Like f- Jeez. But some but people yeah. are pretty extreme when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I know people that are paying $1,000 or 1500 for uh, Street Fighter uh, Third Strike uh, setups. So there you go, guys. I mean, it could be so much worse. Uh, it could be. Even a long box on the Saturn, you know, which is basically a arcade perfect conversion you know we'll yes. run you like a hundred bucks but i mean you know at least it's not a 300 dollars cps2 board exactly you know? but you can you also the, uh, this is the good thing about the cps2 board is you can actually use it as a backpack too or at least a <laughs> pseudo backpack just put some strings put on your back and oh hey you got a cool backpack thanks dude that would actually look really rad that would i'm not gonna lie but you know i mean like Back in, I do remember reading a review in uh, official Sega Saturn magazine on this game, and um, this was released in PAL territories as well, right? Yes, it was released in PAL in South America because they. Oh, oh, you, I think I'm at the board. Sorry. No, no, I'm talking about the Saturn version. But Saturn no, version I mean, it it, really it reviewed good. really well. They even they even wrote up a guide for it, and it was I I do recall it being like a, a staff favorite. Like pretty much everybody in the office was playing it, and I and it definitely 
I think for most people who might just be trying it out, literally sit down and spend a couple hours with it and really get come to grips with it because the first thing it, you might be turned off if you're expecting it to be like other puzzlers because it looks like Puyo Puyo. If you're looking at screenshots or YouTube play, you might assume that it's like a Puyo Puyo clone, but it really wants to be its own thing. And you could tell that Capcom was like, you know, how are we going, how do we make this unique and how do we make it fit for quick, you know, quarter munching play? And uh, in that regard, I think that they did a really good job. So I, this has quickly become, you know, one of my favorite Saturn puzzlers. I'd for sure say it's my favorite Saturn puzzle game just because of how fast paced it is and how it's, it doesn't feel like a clone of another game. Like, obviously, there's heavy influence from that type of puzzle game just because it's two blocks falling down your matching colors, right? But mm -hmm. the way it works and the way the gameplay is set up and how you're supposed to attack your opponent, it's it's a very unique game for sure. I'm just curious, Peter, what were the runners-up in, in the poll? Uh, in second place, we had Baku Baku Animal, which is a Sega Titan arcade game that got converted to Saturn. Um, and in third place was actually Shanghai Triple Threat. So, oh yeah, very fascinating third place. Yeah, mm -hmm. we ought to cover those in a future episode. Yes, definitely. For sure. I actually learned recently about Shanghai. I didn't realize the series. I thought it was a Japanese series. I was no, surprised to learn it was. You no, know, yeah, I thought it, I was surprised to learn it was like you know by e or Activision. It was crazy. Like it was primarily developed in America, but it had ports that were only in japan but it was made in america it's, it's kind of wow. goofy yeah it's kind of weird i was actually watching g uh, g4 icons they had a playlist on youtube and they had all of them i was listening to them and it's like oh hey shanghai yes. was like is that the same game it's like oh wow <laughs> cool well is there anything else that we want to go around the table and say about this game there's one quick thing I want to address, and it's just the uh, the release scheduling and the import purchasing culture, I guess, in the in the West at, at the time this game came out. So the arcade version came out in uh, Japan and America before the Saturn version was released in late 96. Uh, it was like a few months before it, the Saturn version came out when people were realizing, oh, hey, this is getting a home console port and people were highly anticipating it. And uh, according to um, a couple of Usenet posts that I found on the internet for some store listings, the Japanese version came out on December 6th, 1996. And um, that import on the same day of its Japan release was being sold in America. The import was shipped to, to the States and being, being sold by stores in America to customers. And apparently it was so popular that the import actually sold out at Tronics just about a week after it was released in Japan. And again, that was sold out on an American store selling the import. And then if you look at the Usenet post, you see a lot of people talking about playing the import and reviewing it and liking it a lot. And then the American version came out in late January. I got store listings that say January 24th, 97. And um, it's funny, I think... The game was really popular among Saturn owners, but the American version didn't sell well because people were buying the import instead uh, mm. to the point where it was selling out. Uh, it's pretty crazy hearing about these the import scene back then for the Saturn. I mean, we had Sega Lord X on saying that he'd always go to the store and get all these things early. And yep. now we have all these people like maybe that might be one of the reasons why the Saturn died is, you know, 
maybe all these people importing it, or at least yeah, one of the reasons. It was still a niche fan base of people importing it. It wasn't like we weren't getting millions of people importing it. Like it was still a pretty small, a comparably smaller group of people compared to people playing, you know, the PlayStation, the N64 and stuff. But the Saturn, hardcore Saturn people in late 96 were very into importing uh, since a lot of those games just didn't even get released in America. Yeah, because I know a lot of game stores, uh, I was watching stuff on like anime, like the like you know the the comic store game stores that have you know these games and anime stuff like the imports the the sort of copied VHSs. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe maybe there's just a lot of that was going on where you know oh hey mom and pop game store hey we can import games for the Saturn and it's fairly yep. cheap to do it. Yeah, I think by '97 though a lot of I totally agree with what you're saying, Pat. But I think another aspect is that by '97. A lot of Saturn fans were already used to that, you know, seeing maybe this will get released games end up being canceled. And so they almost assumed that I better just get the import while I can because there's a good chance this won't come over, you know, Uh, just by, you know, because obviously by 98 it was dead, you know. So yep. like late 97, the writing was on the wall. Things were being said. Magazines were throwing shade. PlayStation was doing gangbusters, and I think people who were, you know, on totally on board for Saturn wanted to get their games, you know, were just thinking, I have a better chance importing it now than waiting around, you know. Uh, you know, because if they want to play it while their PlayStation counterparts are playing it and be able to talk about it, you know, <laughs> you don't want to be waiting around forever for a game that might not come. And in cases of, like, Radiant Silvergun, lots of people thought it would come over. They were like, you know, treasure, that's, that's a shoe-in, you know. America loves treasure, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of games like that that just didn't come. For our next segment, we're going to talk about the Saturn Obscura of the cast, which is Queen Puzzle Mugia. Basically, at a... Uh, if you guys ever played a money puzzle exchanger on the Neo Geo, it's kind of like that except in reverse. And you sort of match the coins. I think it's like denominations. So it's like a 10 ones or like 5 or 10 ones turn to a 10. The 500s turn to 500. And you just match the money and you sort of uh, turn it into that denomination. And you sort of, it's sort of that in that same vein of fighting game where you're fighting another opponent. Sort of like a puzzle fighter. That's why I kind of, Thought it'd be a good choice for this this cast because it seemed a lot like it except with cats and money instead of blocks and punching each other. So it kind of was funny because some of the facial animations on your character when it gets hurt, it like just gets like really wide and sad. And it's kind of weird the opponents he's playing like this frog guy and then this big boss that throws cats to steal his money. So that's kind of uh, interesting. I found it super bizarre. I mean, it took obviously, it's very Japanese heavy. I, I guess uh, this game's a cat-based puzzle game. Uh, Meow. It was published in Japan by Virgin Interactive. It was released in Arcade and the Saturn. And it's so obscure, it's even hard to find pictures of a lot of the, the arcade board for it. Because that's actually where I first saw it. Some guy was uh, testing an arcade machine with it and I thought the game looked kind of fun. But uh, yeah, apparently it was only released in Japan on the arcade and of course the Saturn and uh, yeah it was, it's impossible to find the board I've been trying to hunt it down but I can't find anything anywhere 
pictures of the board itself or even, you know, it going for sale. Because so I'd really like to own it because apparently it's not too expensive. Mm-hmm. But it sure is obscure. Yeah, it's super. Yeah. It's cute and it's got those little lucky money cats. You know, yep. good fortune yeah. cats. Now I little get it. Okay. Yeah. The thing that really got me, there are a couple things. One, it was difficult to find. So Patrick sent it into our, our chat and said it's coin puzzle mo- mojia so i'm like okay that's easy i got a couple websites so i'll go find it i couldn't find it i find it on youtube and there are like people posting videos of it but many of them have different names for it there was like mojia with like a d in it and like a couple other words at the end and then there was one at a different website that i found that just called it moja and like i didn't it didn't register right away that that was the game I was looking for. It was just called Moja. It didn't have the word cat, no coin, didn't have the word puzzle or anything like that. And it turns out that was it. That was Coin Puzzle Mo- Mojia. It was the same game, same one in all the YouTube videos. Cats with coins falling down. And yeah, it was this. It was the most difficult to find on the internet ever. <laughs> but I finally my, got my, it. My favorite thing about it is the giant flashing red warning in the beginning saying, Warning, yes. this is for Japan only. If you dare export, you will be prosecuted <laughs> to the full extent of the law. We will cut off your legs. <laughs> yes, it has this giant paragraph in English that's like, You cannot play or sell this outside of Japan. Do not play this outside of Japan. And it's like this the only game that has this warning. And it's, it's a cat puzzle game. <laughs> yeah, it's super serious. Oh. But you know what? Like that that sort of messaging, I believe, was common in arcade boards from the '80s and early '90s. Because I'm aware of a few other arcade games that have these warning messages that you cannot use or export or whatever outside of Japan. So I wasn't. I mean, I was I was surprised to see it on the Saturn version because usually you'd yes. remove that for for the Saturn disc. But yeah, like I mean, you know, super odd that they kept it. And but yeah, there it is. Yeah, maybe it's like, you know, they're thinking, oh, it'll get imported eventually. And it's like, nah, fam, we ain't doing that. But it's just really annoying that they sort of have it, like, locked in the way. I actually was worried at first that it was actually hard region locked because I thought it was, like, stuck on that screen for a sec. It's like, oh, really? Is this really happening right now? So it looks like it was published by it was published by Virgin, right? But yeah. it was made by a company called FPS? Yeah. D- I guess it was developed by a company called FPS. Yeah, the Doom guys made it, the FPS guys. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, id yeah, Software, they made, they made this cat puzzle game. Uh, so so it was the hardest to get, Nick, but once you got it, what did you think about it? Well, you know, I, I thought it was fine. You know, it was entertaining. It's it's not a bad puzzle game. And the cats, you know, the cute cats and the just overall adorable theme of it, 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 it makes it fun. It's definitely not a boring puzzle game. It's not some. It's not one that I, you know, go. I, I wouldn't go singing through the streets, holding it in my two hands and demanding <laughs> everybody play it, like I would with say Pebble Beach Golf Links. But I feel like some shade thrown at me right now <laughs> because that's kind of what I did when I was like, "Man, you guys got to play this game. It's amazing." So but I, 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 I liked it. Right no, now. no, hang on. I'm not throwing shade at you. I'm not throwing shade at you. I, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's, it's not like super crazy like amazing or anything but i'm also not a puzzle game player so there's that i i think it's you know the fact that it's so obscure the fact that i can't find it on sega retro's website once i finally got it i was greeted with this very aggressive 
don't play this outside of Japan warning screen. And then it was just a bunch of cats. <laughs> just like these cute cats, these little cats. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stack the coins. Like, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed it. Like it, it's addicting. I, I'll probably come back to it later. And uh, yeah, definitely glad that this came into my life. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I especially like the English on it. There's quite a yes. couple instances yeah. of English, English, at the end of the day, I'm super glad that we dive into, you know, an obscure game that is on topic with what our cast is because I wasn't even aware that this game existed. It is super Same. obscure and it wasn't, you know, the easiest game to locate. Uh, I did get my hands on it and yeah, it's super bizarre and, you know, the weird cats and the the cats with the glasses on them, the sunglasses, the shades, like, and the different denominations if you're a puzzle lover, I would recommend this game because I think it's cute and funny and, you know, the puzzling is pretty pretty interesting. But if you're just an average gamer that, you know, maybe isn't a hardcore puzzler, then I'm not sure. Like, this this is to me more of a curiosity than a must-own. Yeah, and it's fairly cheap, too. I think it's only, I guess, well, I don't want to make this non-evergreen, but it's about, like, 25 to 30 bucks online, maybe even cheaper if you could find a good deal on it. So it's nothing too sort of, you know, expensive. In Japan, it get released like in a standard edition, and then there was also the special edition where you got a live cat. Yeah. <laughs> Which forgot the Schrodinger's cat. You forgot the super special edition. It comes with the, yeah, it comes with the Schrodinger's cat and a couple pairs of cat clothing. You You're back. like, should I open this game? And says, don't play this outside Japan. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, like, you're like should I open the game or should I leave it closed? Because the cat might still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you only have thirty dollars to spend, buy Puzzle Fighter Two. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, buy Super Puzzle Fighter Two. Take it, play it, love it. I'll go pick it up and play it. But uh, anyways, uh, how do you guys feel about Coin Puzzle Muida? I know, I know, Nick, you said that it's pretty good. Um, you'd probably yeah. pick it up. You know, if you like puzzle games, I'd recommend it, especially for its obscurity. Like, it's such an unknown. So few websites have it, and websites that do have it call it different names. Like, this is the game from Mars. I don't know why no one has, like, documented information on it. Yeah, like I was saying, if you like puzzle games, this do yourself a favor and pick up Coin Puzzle Moijites. It's curious, it's interesting, it's fun, and you'll just have a good time. But if you have 30 bucks to spend, definitely go for Puzzle Fighter. And if you play Coin Puzzle Magia outside Japan, the secret police will find you. Nick won't be on the next cast. (laughs) (laughs) He'll have been detained by then. That's right. Uh, For you guys that don't know, all these events are getting canceled in the gaming realm. I mean, GDC got canceled, E3 got canceled, E3 got canceled. Can you guys believe that? No, that one's crazy. Like, it's so far out, and it's such a big event, too. Like, that getting canceled was kind of surprising, honestly. But E3 is a Petri dish, though. <laughs> it know? is. It is. No, 100% definitely is. I just, with it, it's in June, right? Like, I'm not interested sure, yeah. in saying that. Like, yeah, that's no, that... the fact that they canceled it so far out is concerning. But, you a know. A lot of uncertainty. There is. Here's a fun fact. So the Saturn remains the only console ever launched at E3 because it launched at E3 1995. Tom Kalinske got up on stage and said, 
we're going live. We're launching right here, right now. We're available today. So it, it, you know, obviously didn't work out very well, but it remains the only console to have ever launched at E3. So for E3 to be canceled and who knows whether it'll be back in 2021, you know, you never know. It, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's interesting. The passing of that show would be an interesting marker in the, you know, annals of video game history. It would. Yep. It'd be the amount of time it's been since, you know, the Saturn was announced, you know. It'd be kind of crazy, or like really, sorry, the same amount of time when the Saturn was actually released to the U.S. public. Yep, 25 years. Wow. I guess uh, I guess all we can say to that is E3 is not our future if, you know, it's the end. Hey. <laughs> That's funny, actually. <laughs> But yeah, um, I guess before we go, do you guys want to mention your, I guess talking about uh, the coronavirus, do you guys want to mention your, your shelter in place Saturn game? So like just if, if, if you had one Saturn game that you were stuck in a room with, what would you play? I guess I'll play Quarantine, which was called Death Throttle <laughs> Saturn. <laughs> I'll probably go with Resident Evil. Mine, of course, would be Nights into Dreams. If we're sticking to the theme of, you know, quarantine and stuff like that, probably Command and Conquer. Just because of the whole, you know, the terrarium taking everybody oh, over. Yeah. yeah. But if I had to pick one just to keep playing, it probably would be probably something like an RPG, like a Panzer Dragoon Saga. That would actually honestly be. I'm surprised nobody took Virus. <laughs> Ben's would be Virus. He's not here, but <laughs> I, I know he wants to. He he wants to play that damn game. <laughs> he couldn't get out of the room. There's our list for uh, for Saturn. Oh, and Deep Fear. Don't forget that one. Oh yeah. Deep fear yep got to get it oh oh absolutely deep fear but uh i was gonna say you know ben uh he couldn't even get out of the first room in the in the game virus just because of the the language uh, d- difficulty but i'm sure that if we were all on quarantine you know he'd have a good long time to think about it <laughs> maybe he could end up getting out of that room by the time they let him out of his room they let him out of the let, let <laughs> by the time public we're off quarantine. Yeah, he'll finally get out of that room. Uh, another great topical discussion from the Saturn boys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I guess to finalize our list, we got Resident Evil, Deep Fear, Quarantine, Death Throttle, Virus, and uh, am I missing any? Nights into Dreams. And Nights into Dreams, yeah. Yeah. Yep, so uh, yeah, if you guys need to shelter in place with a game. Oh, and Panzer Dragoon Saga, sorry. Right, yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you guys need to you know shelter in place, you got the nice little recommended games for the Saturn, you know. All right, well, that wraps up our cast for today. Thank you for listening, guys. And remember, you must play Sega Saturn. You just got to do it. That's it. It's a requirement.
drop, 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 random shit. Just oh, really? Is this really happening right now? Drop, 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 random shit. Just we will cut off your legs. Drop, 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 random shit. Just a uh, meow. Random, r- random shit. Take it, play it, love it.